Morning. If you had a Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. Before we uh, dive into uh, the, the sermon this morning, we need to differentiate between two groups of people here real quick. Uh, first group, if you enjoy running, would you please raise your hand? If you enjoy running, okay. These are all the sick people, okay? All right, the rest of us, normal people, Okay. This morning, we're talking about discipline, and this is uh, part three of our series, or step three of our series entitled, uh, How to Create a Counterculture. And we're talking about 10 steps in order to do that. And uh, I forgot to introduce myself. My name's Stephen, by the way. Uh, If you're new around here, and we are, we're really glad that you uh, joined us this morning. And in this series, what we're doing is we're walking through practical steps on how to go about creating the change that we want to see, the Reformation. And uh, in different times in in our history, in the history of uh, the last 2,000 years of the Christian faith, uh, in the history of our nation, there have been these reforming periods, these times where people just sense God needs to move, and uh, and we're praying that he does in a new way, uh, new in the sense that uh, it's his spirit, his gospel breaking out into people's lives. And so that's what we're talking about, and we're talking about what role we can play in that. Now, here's what's interesting about this series. As much as we want to see transformation happen out there, the first couple weeks of this series have been about uh, what needs to happen in here first. And I'll say this probably every week. Before we can ever talk about what needs to change in the world, we need to first talk about what needs to change inside of each and every one of us. And what, change, what needs to change inside of here, his church. And so week number one, or step number one of this series was to live a godly life. Week number two of this series then was to never stop learning. That was last week. And today, we're going to look at this, step number three, to exercise great personal discipline. Now, I understand I just used two words there that some of you may hate, exercise and discipline. And maybe you're thinking, is discipline really a biblical idea? Is it really like a, a spiritual thing, or is this just like a, a TED Talk or a motivational speech, uh, you know, from Jocko or whoever else on, you know, have great discipline? Well, this morning, I want to show you that being disciplined is indeed a spiritual trait, that ultimately this comes out of our relationship with Christ. In fact, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, which is one of the lists of uh, what happens when we're transformed by the gospel, uh, it lays out that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In some translations, discipline. Now, I do want to differentiate real quick here between two types of discipline. Uh, One uh, could be described like this. If I told you, hey, last night I had to discipline my son August, you'd go, oh, no, what'd he do? If I said, last night my son August showed great personal discipline, you'd go, wow, what a great kid. Well, today we're talking about the second here. We're talking about the type of discipline uh, that you and I exercise Uh, in order to achieve things that we would not be able to achieve apart from it. Let me give you an example here at the beginning. If the first week we talked about holiness, if holiness is the train itself, and then never stop learning, week number two is the the coal that goes in uh, to the train to power it, then week three here, great personal discipline, is the tracks that allows the powerful locomotive to go somewhere. 
We want to talk about a reformation, and of course we do. If we want to talk about God moving and changing things, uh, then yes, there, is, there has to be an entity uh, that, that it moves through, and it moves through the church, and it moves through individual believers. And holiness is good, but faith without actions is dead. And knowledge is powerful, but Paul warns of a knowledge that puffs up, but it is love that brings transformation. And so uh, how do you take uh, knowledge and how do you take internal God doing something and put it into action? By exercising great personal discipline. It moves you from where you're at to action actually happening. Another way to look at this is from one guy in the scriptures who is probably known as the most disciplined guy in the Bible. In fact, uh, 20, whatever it is, 700 years or so later uh, from when this guy was on, uh, on the earth, people are still observing disciplinary tactics as a result of something he did. If you've uh, ever heard the term the Daniel fast, it comes from the Old Testament prophet Daniel who exercised great personal discipline. He was also known for exercising discipline that he prayed three times every single day. He was this very disciplined guy. Well, we get this snapshot into Daniel's life in Daniel chapter 1. And in Daniel chapter 1, it teaches us a little bit about what is necessary for discipline. It says this in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. You can do show of hands if you want, but you don't have to. Has anyone ever resolved to do something and not done it? It's February, right? We're already looking back. Maybe you resolved to lose some weight, but your wife made puppy chow, and then you ate the entire bowl, right? That was literally me last night, okay? Maybe you resolved to get out of debt, but then you saw the new car or the new house or the new whatever. You resolved to do something, and then it didn't happen. Discipline is the gap between what you have resolved to do mentally and what you actually do. Discipline is that gap. Discipline is the gap also of what the church can talk about with Reformation, uh, what we can uh, dream about, and then discipline is what actually allows it to move. Discipline. Let me give you an example, too, of discipline in the Old Testament. There's a guy by the name of Moses. Uh, Moses led the Israelites out of the promised land, and we learned this really important trait from Moses, and that is this, that a moment of a lack of discipline can prohibit what God wants to do. Isn't that interesting? Moses, who was a great leader, at one point in time, he was instructed to do something a certain way, and then he didn't do it that way. And God said, Moses, I'm not done with you as a leader, but you're going to stand on the edge of the promised land and look in instead of actually being able to go in yourself. One moment of a lack of discipline in Moses' life made it so that he had to stand in and watch what God wanted to do instead of being a part of what God wanted to do. Now, some of you might be like, well, Stephen, I've had many moments of lack of discipline in my life. Does that mean I'm done? Well, no. Here's what it does mean. That moving forward, moving forward, we should always want to follow and obey God in every possible way so that we can experience 
the fullness of what he wants to lay out. And for those of us who have already had moments, and I know when I say for those of us, all of us, certainly, who have had those moments where sin has broken into a lack of discipline, and many of us, we have seen the practical consequences of it. I have two bits of good news for those of us who fall in that category. Um, The first bit of good news is this, the spiritual consequences of our sin were taken care of by Jesus on the cross. And though we still live out practical consequences, spiritually, Christ has rescued us. Woo! Christ has rescued us, and he has saved us, right? And so we don't have to carry the weight of that anymore. That's beautiful. Here's the second good news. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that even in the midst of our failure and our mistakes and our sins, that God can still work something out for good. And so it may not be what it was going to be, but it can still be good because God is good and he redeems things. And so we have that hope to be anchored in. We have that hope to know that my spiritual state, man, Christ rescued me and God can still work good out. But moving forward, our hope and dream and goal and desire should be under the lordship of Christ in our life to walk forward now exercising that discipline. Paul's gonna say exercising that discipline in all things. This morning, uh, exercise great personal discipline. It's a transition between the first two uh, uh, steps in our series that were very personal in nature. Live a godly life and um, never stop learning. But then that discipline begins to move out and it becomes very applicable then. And so we're transitioning now uh, through this week into what will then be like kind of the corporate church response uh, and then eventually kind of a societal push of how we see this reformation go out. And so that's kind of where we're at in the series. Now I'm going to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 out of Daniel. And uh, over there, what we see is another metaphor of discipline that the uh, Apostle Paul invokes. And it's a, a, a metaphor that I think rings true simply because of how horrible running is. Amen? Amen. He says this, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run but only one receives the prize. This is an emphatic scripture that tells us that participant, participation trophies are wrong. Amen? Amen. All right. We could leave right now. He says this. So run that you may obtain it. Let me cut through the metaphor for a second. He's saying, don't you all know, Christian, That if you have submitted yourself to Christ, if the gospel is broken in and you have uh, experienced the new birth, that you are now in a race. And let me tell you what the race is. Uh, Jesus says it more succinctly than I'm about to say it. But he says it this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Make your life about the kingdom of God. Jesus says it a different way this way. That whoever would lose his life will find it in Christ. Whoever would find his life then would lose his life on his own. The race that you or I, uh, that you and I are on is this, uh, uh, to submit ourselves and to surrender to the lordship of Christ and then to leverage everything that we are and everything that we have for the kingdom of God that we are to seek above and before all things. That's the race. And Paul is saying this, you are in a race. Friend, if you are a follower of Christ, you are in a race. Whether you know it or not, you are in a race. And if you're going to run the race, Paul's saying, then run it right. 
If you're going to run the race, run it with a sense of purpose. Run it with some meaning. You're in a race. Don't you want to win? Paul is saying, Christian, you are in a race. Run it with some purpose. Later on, Paul's going to give a comparison. I'm going to hop back to this verse, but let me jump down to verse 26. Paul says it this way. He says, when I run, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. The idea of that is that it's like kind of showing off when you're just like shadow boxing, right? Like I look super tough up here, right? You bring somebody up here who's a little bit taller than me, I'm not going to look real tough real quick, right? He says, don't show off in the Christian life. No, no, run it with purpose. Run it with purpose. You're in a race. So if you're going to train, if you're going to run the race, then run it well. There's a guy who tells a story about two different marathon runners. The first marathon runner uh, was young and prime athletically and trained uh, for a few months and was hitting incredible numbers uh, in his training and then got injured. The marathon itself was three to four months later. But because of this young man's status and his previous training and uh, the fact that uh, the, the young person was young and uh, a good athlete and uh, he thought, I will still be able to do this. And, and so the athlete ran the race, got to mile 20 and completely fell apart. Incredible pain. Um, injuries that lasted for the next six months. Okay, that was me. All right. That was that guy. The other guy was my dad who was old, and then he ran a marathon. And I say, oh, I won't tell you what age he is because then some of you will get offended. But he was older uh, when he ran his marathon, about 30 years older than I was when he ran it, trained every single day for that marathon, uh, and then ran the marathon and beat his 19-year-old son's time by way too much time and will never let me forget it, okay? (laughs) The only reason I might run another marathon is to beat his time so this story ends. <laughs> the point, what? If you're going to run, train. If you're going to run, get ready. If you're going to run, take it seriously. Friend, if you're going to be a Christ follower, especially if you're going to be a Christ follower in 2023, you might as well do it right. You might, as well, uh, ma- uh, uh, you might as well have a mentality like it matters how you live. You, you might as well realize uh, that you are running a race right now, and it's a race uh, because there are stakes. It's a race because there are uh, rules and a judge. Uh, there's a race because there's a prize. And for the Christian, the prize is getting to the end and the father uh, looking at down and saying or looking at you and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the prize. And so if we're going to run it, let's run. Let's run it right. And so here he says this, don't you know you're in a race? All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run in a way like it matters. He then says this, every athlete, every athlete, let me translate, every serious race runner. Let me translate again. Every serious follower of Christ. Cutting through the metaphors. He says, exercises self-control. In all things. Friend, if you're serious about this Christian life, then exercise self-control. Or as we're saying it, exercise great personal discipline in all things. 
Now, here it seems like Paul's getting a little, <laughs> Paul, you're getting a little personal here. All things. The, the connection, right, is to the athlete. The athlete who wants to compete at the highest level knows this. Well, it can't just be about my workout routine. It can't just be about my diet. It can't just be about my sleeping pattern. If I'm serious about it, then it is all of those things. And we've all heard the stories of the great Olympic athletes and the level of discipline that it took for them to get to where they wanted. And they knew this, that if one of those things wasn't up to par and somebody else who they were competing against was up to par or standard in that, then they were now losing ground in that area. And so the, what is Paul's point here? Uh, his point, by the way, is not for us to compare ourselves one to another. His point is this, that if you're serious about the Christian life, then exercise great personal discipline in all things. And then he even gives us a little bit of motivation that I'll uh, touch on a bit later. He says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. Some of us, by the way, we have great natural discipline, and we have it for this reason. We're competing for some kind of earthly prize. That's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But Paul's saying, Christian, we have an even greater reason for personal discipline. Why? We're competing for something eternal. We're playing an eternal game. That's our motivation. Not some earthly prize. Not some bank account. Not some notoriety. No, no, no. We're in a race for the kingdom of God. What a motivation. That is. And he's saying, out of that motivation now, exercise great personal discipline in all things. That's what Paul's saying. So let's take a moment. Let's talk about all things. All things. Because Paul wants us to practice that. And what Paul is saying is this, that it is um, the, the submission of all things and exercising great personal discipline in all things that will allow us to maximize our impact and allow us to run the race best. And so the rest of this sermon is, is this, is how God through his scriptures teaches us to be disciplined so that we can run the race in the best way. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, tells us the first way to do this. Hebrews 12.1 says this, and you're going to see this racing metaphor is all over. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's the race metaphor again. What's the race before us? Submitting ourselves in entirety to the lordship of Christ and leveraging everything we are and everything we have for the kingdom of God, seeking first to be the kingdom of God. He says, How, okay, if you're going to run the race, you need to run it with endurance. And if you're in a race and you're running, one of the ways to run faster, right, is to throw off extra baggage. Every uh, second Saturday uh, of December, um, I've done this three years in a row now, a group of friends and I, we walk from, down, uh, from Waterville Park down to Grand Rapids, we eat breakfast, and then we walk back. This year, it was a 19-mile walk. It's a ton of fun. And uh, one of our friends this year, by the way, you're all invited next year, dudes, right? You can come and join us. Uh, next year, or uh, sorry, last year, one of our friends was walking it, and he had this brilliant idea because like uh, rucking, it's called right now, is very popular. And so he had on his 30-pound weight sack uh, as we were walking. And I'm like starting to like, I'm like watching him during the journey. And I'm watching how he's like walking, 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 walking by the end of the nine miles. Then we start turning around and we're walking back and he's like smiling and happy. And I'm like, dude, where's your weight sack? And he's like, oh, I just left it at the restaurant, man. <laughs> he's like, it might be there when I get back, who knows, right? But like, it doesn't matter. 
sin, repeated sin, habitual sin, unconfessed sin, sin that divides, sin that destroys. It's like you can almost watch people. And the weight of it becomes crushing and crushing and crushing. It's like their soul dries up or fog comes before their eyes. And they can sense it. They can feel it. Others around them maybe don't know what's really going on, but they know something is. And Jesus says, throw it off, but how? He says, I will wear it for you. And he did on the cross. We took the weight and the penalty of the sin upon himself on the cross. You say, what sin? All of them. How egregious, the worst of them. Jesus carried it for us. So that we could do what? Throw it off. And haven't you seen this? When somebody then finally steps into their freedom and all of a sudden you can like see the, the light beginning to return to their eyes. You can see the joy beginning to return to their faces. Why? Because they are now walking in the freedom of truth. Some of us, we are being weighed down by habitual sin. We are being weighed down by an unconfessed sin. And I am telling you, you can try to fight it with your own strength, but until you confess it and repent it, uh, repent of it and hand it off to Jesus, it will continue to crush you. But you know what? It might be the hardest thing you do, but it'll be the most freeing thing that you do in the moment of confession and true repentance before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The weight will be lifted and you will begin to start running again. Would you repent? Would you confess? Would you stop and quit? Would you let? Would you let the gospel come in and set you free like it does? Friends, we are on a race we're in it. We're running it. And if we want to keep uh, another metaphor, it helps with this. It's like a dog returning to its vomit. It's like if you were running down the race, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, stop. I got to run back and go grab my uh, something. Oh, no, I'm running. Okay, now I have to go back and grab something else. He says sin is like a dog returning to its vomit. It's like the dog is running on the race, but then he goes back. Sin is going back. Stop going back. Jesus says you're going forward. Philippians 3.14 also says this, I press on. I forget what lies behind. And so even if the sin is uh, egregious, let Christ take care of it through your true repentance, right? And then press on to what God has for you in the future. This is the liberating news of the gospel so that you and I can run the race and we can run it light. We can run it with it all thrown off. I want to take another moment too to talk about one type of sin in particular that the scriptures talk about more than uh, a lot of others, and they talk about it in a different way. And it is sexual sin. And I want to say this. Uh, I want to give you the encouragement that the scriptures give us when it relates to sexual sin. Because this one in our culture and in every culture has always been one that trips people up. There is only one antidote in the scripture for sexual sin. Uh, kind of like one and a half. One is get married, okay, if you're single. The, the, the other one, though, is this. Whether you're single, married, whatever it might be. And, and here's the only uh, encouragement in the scripture for sexual sin. Run! That's it! Run! Just run! Run! Run from the, the text. Like, I want some dude right now who's engaged right now, and, and like, they're in a moment with this girl, and he gets up, and she's like, where are you going? She's like, I'm just going for a run. I'm going for a run. Run, the scriptures say. 
Run away from it. And you know what? The scriptures, they actually give us an indicator too. And they, they tell us a story. And they tell us a story of one guy named Joseph who ran when his, uh, when his boss's wife came on to him. He runs from it, literally runs from it. And when he does now, um, God uses that and he uses his faithfulness and his obedience and he sets Joseph up to preserve the line of Christ and to save his own family through his obedience. Then we see another guy, David. David doesn't run from sexual sin. David runs into it. And you know what it does? It causes despair in his family for the rest of his life. Now, these are stories that give us indicators of what it can do. It doesn't always have to be that way. God's grace and redemption breaks in and breaks forth. But for all of us, it is the reminder to run. And so, my friends, run, please. Run from whatever that is that you want to look at. Run from whoever it is that you're with that isn't leading you in sexual purity. Run from that text message, from that person. Run, 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 run. And as you do that, then the weight won't get added on. You'll get freer and freer and more and more able. And part of the beauty of the gospel is that when we begin to develop that strength to resist sin, when we do that, we get stronger and stronger. And the part of the freedom that we have in Christ is that things that used to trip us down, things that we used to want to return to, as the gospel grows inside of us, as the fruit of the Spirit is empowering us more, we get better and better at saying, that thing doesn't hold me anymore. Let's walk in our freedom. That's the first one. We got to get good at, I would call it both repenting and resisting, both repenting and resisting. Here's the second one. Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 17. If you got a Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter five, let me read it to you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I know this one says walk, but just imagine, you know, you can put, I think, run in there too. Uh, Look carefully then how you run the race, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil, and we live in evil days, do we not? Come on. I mean, every week you guys send me texts, and I'm glad you do, of news stories that you're like, oh, this is why you talk about the things that you talk about. Like, we're not just making this stuff up. You know, some of you saw this story last week down in Texas uh, where this church got lambasted for um, having a doctrinal statement that is almost identical to our doctrinal statement on human sexuality on our website. And I said this Wednesday night in our church, Christians believe the Bible. Like, we just do, right? And, and, and I'm saying this, why? Because the days are evil out there right now. And, and so what does that mean? He's saying, make the best use of the time. This, this verse applies. Make the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Listen, if you're in a race, what matters more than time? If you're in a race, what matters more than time? Nothing, that's the point, right, of a race. So what is he saying? He's saying make the best use of the time that you have on the race or that you have in the race. Make the best use of it. Leverage your time. Let me talk to a couple of groups real quick. First, let me talk to the single people, okay? Because I've heard this. It's kind of been emerging and it's become popular again, and I hear single people all the time. By the way, I was single until I was 30, okay? So I do think I have some credibility in this conversation where people say, oh, I'm tired of always hearing that, you know, uh, Christian, uh, single Christians um, um, should, should serve more because they're single. Okay, one, Paul said it, okay? You ain't smarter than Paul. Second, it's practically very true, 
As somebody who was single up until 30, I can tell you I had way more time to serve and do whatever I wanted when I was single than I was when I was married or than I was with three kids. And everyone with children said? Yeah. Okay. And listen, this is not like, uh, we're, not, we're not picking on you single people. Okay, what we're saying is this, leverage the time. Leverage the time. Leverage the time. Let me go to the, not always, but kind of the other extreme. Retirees. Leverage the time for the gospel. Are you doing all the things that you said you were going to do? As soon as I'm retired, I will I'll go hang out with the grandkids. I'll serve more. Oh, I'll help out during the day. Oh, I'll whatever. Are you? Leverage the time of the season that you're in. This is a crazy stat, okay? This is one of my favorite things um, and, uh, it, that, that I've ever come up with my, on my own, all right? Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but, but this, this one always gets me in my own mind. Do you know this? That every time you spend seven minutes a day doing something that is the equivalent for a year, that is the equivalent of a full week of work? Seven minutes a day. It's the equivalent of a full week of work. Imagine at the end of the year, you're sitting down with somebody and they go, hey, how was your year this year? And you go, well, you know what? I took two weeks off of work this year and I, I wanted to really leverage it. So I took two weeks off of work this year and I just did a deep dive intensive study into Instagram. <laughs> they go, well, that's kind of a weird way to spend your life, and you go, well, yeah, no, but I just really wanted to take two weeks off, and, and, and it was PTO, I used my vacation weeks, and I just studied Instagram through the scroll. No one would say that. No one would do that. But many people would spend 15 minutes every day for a year, and it's the exact same thing. Now imagine the opposite. You get to the end of the year and somebody goes, how was your year? And you go, oh my goodness, let me tell you how my year was. I took one week off this year and I just did a deep dive from the moment I would have started work to the moment that I would have ended work and I didn't even like, you know, cheat on my lunch breaks and all of that kind of thing. And I just studied the scriptures for an entire week and it was such a transformative week. They say, man, how did you take a week off to do that? Oh, I just did it seven minutes every day. Same thing, same thing. Imagine the power of multiple people saying, you know what, I found that I was wasting 15 minutes, and so what did you do this year? Oh, I took off two weeks of work in the middle of the summer, and I prayed that God would bring forth revival for two straight weeks. Wow, you did that? Well, actually, no, I just did it for 15 minutes every single day. That is leveraging your time. Let me go on. Let me go on. Uh, uh, I took an entire month off of work, entire month off of work, and I poured my life into kids learning about Jesus and being built up in the kingdom of God and in making an investment in their spiritual life. I took an entire month off to do that this year. Wow, you would say, that's amazing. How did you take a month off? Oh, no. I just did it one hour every Sunday. That was it. Same thing. Leverage your time for the gospel. Get your time back. 
discipline yourself. This, these actions right here, remember the metaphor of the train. We can talk about holiness and we can talk about never stop learning, right? But you know how ridiculous it would be to have a train that doesn't have a track? You know how ridiculous it would be to have a train and you're just piling all the fuel up, you're piling it up, you're piling it up. You're saying, why aren't you going anywhere? Because it needs the tracks. What's the tracks? Personal discipline. Moving. Moving it. Moving it. Moving it. So we leverage our time. We get good at repenting uh, and throwing off all the extra weight so we can run even quicker. Let me give you one more. Just in case I haven't made you feel uncomfortable enough. One more. Matthew 25, 23. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Leverage your money for, this thing, for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's why I gave it to you. So that you could leverage it for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I'm not telling you not to take care of your family. Of course, that's part of seeking the kingdom of God. I'm not telling you you can't have fun. You should, but submit. What's the race? What's the race? Submitting our entire lives to the kingdom of God and then leveraging everything we are and everything we have for his kingdom. Oftentimes, I'll talk to people and they'll say, I'll say, how's your workout routine going? They're like, oh man, I'm sleeping great and I'm exercising all of the time. Uh, and I'll say, are you making the practice? They'll say, no, I'm not. Why? My diet is horrible. <laughs> right? A lot of times, money is the diet part of the faith. Oh, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, I'm doing this. Have you submitted your money to the Lordship of Christ? Well, no. Paul, when he said submit in all things, he meant all things but money. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. In fact, the scriptures say that this one more than any other thing actually indicates true submission. True submission. Why? Because it's actually quite simple if you think about it. Let's take the thing the world worships the most, which is money. Let's take the thing the world worships the most, and let that be the thing that differentiates Christians the most. Makes perfect sense. Submit yourself in that way. Become disciplined. Become faithful in the little. Okay, why? Because this is one of those things, if you think about the discipline metrics that I've been kind of laying out here, this is one of the things that, that pushes you forward in your discipline. As a friend, I would say this, and it's not just uh, many of us think, okay, well, I, I, you know, I give to the church or I tithe, right? Uh, okay, yes, but it's not just that. It's all of life. Yes, be faithful with the 10%, but, 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 but submit the 90% to his lordship as well. Submit it all to him. Submit it all to him. And this one actually comes with a promise. He says, be faithful with little, and I'll give you more. I'll give you more, he says. But you have to be faithful first. And um, by the way, this also teaches us another lesson about discipline, and I'll use a financial example uh, to set it up. But here's something that we know is true of discipline. This, that discipline now opens up doors in the future that you would never know existed unless you were disciplined now. There are doors that some of us will never get to see because we didn't practice discipline early enough in life. That's just the reality. Okay? 
It's not like, you know, it doesn't have to weigh you down or whatever, but it is a reality. The discipline now, though, will open up doors down the future that would have never existed unless you practiced it now. Let me give you an example. Um, when we went to buy this building two and a half years ago, okay, um, we had to sit down with the bank. Obviously, there was like this two-week time period where banks were lending again, and we had to sit down with them, and we purchased this building for $1.325 million, which in 2023 dollars is just a stupid low amount of money for this building and the land, but praise God. And, and so we sat down with the bank, and up until that point as a church, we're very open about this kind of stuff. Uh, up until that point as a church, um, we had never been over like $401,000 in our first four years in our annual budget, okay? And, uh, and so we sat down with the bank. Now, if we would have sat down with the bank and said, hey, we want to buy this $1.3 million building, uh, and we have like $30,000 set aside in order to do it, they would have looked and said, come back in five years. But instead, we sat down with them and said, hey, on our limited budget uh, uh, over the last four years, we have set aside faithfully $100,000 every single year. And so we don't have $30,000. We have $400,000. And we would like to purchase this building. And they said, that's cool. Let's sign next week. Why? Because discipline now will open up doors that would have never existed without your present discipline. Young people, don't look out to older people and say, I want the stuff that those people have or the lifestyle that those people have. What you should be saying instead is, what kind of discipline did you have when I was your age so I can get there? Okay. That's what you want. That's what you want. And if those people are in the Lord, they'll want you to get way further than they ever got. But it was the discipline back here that allowed them to get there. Okay. Discipline now, it opens up doors. My friend, don't you want those doors opened? Of course you do. Discipline now. Discipline now. Okay, so how, how do we develop discipline? I'm gonna hit this quickly here. I already told you the first one. The first thing you gotta do to develop discipline is you have to have the proper perspective. It says in uh, that 1 Corinthians passage, remember, they're doing it for earthly reasons. We're doing it for eternal reasons. And so as you're thinking about and praying through discipline this week, you have to keep the eternal in mind. Keep the eternal in mind. Why am I disciplined? I'm not just disciplined because it's, it's a cool trend right now. I'm not just disciplined because of this or that. I am disciplined, right? Why? Because of eternity. I'm disciplined because of what God can do uh, through my efforts and through my works, right? And, and so I'm going to remain disciplined for that in all of these areas. That's the first thing, the proper perspective. Here's the second thing we need to have. And if you could throw up 2 Timothy 1.7 up there, uh, we need to have the proper power. And second, or 1 Timothy, sorry, 1.7 says this. And this is a famous verse, uh, but in the NASB. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. God gives it to us. And so if you want discipline in the way that I'm talking about it, spiritual discipline, you ask God for it, and it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift that he gives us. And so right now, if you're thinking like, Stephen, I don't know, I've tried to resist the sin. I've tried to run from it. I've tried to do this. I feel like I keep returning to it. You need to remember the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you that compels you to that discipline and that discipline in all things. In all things, it's a gift from him. And uh, beyond that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we are given this promise. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man, but God is faithful. He will not tempt you beyond what you are able. And he will give you a way of escape. He will give you a way of escape. 
You need the power for that discipline. And then you need to look for the way of escape. And friends, when we're looking for that way of escape through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we get the first exit, you better take it. You got you to be sneaky about it. Like as soon as there's a moment, you ever been in a conversation you're trying to get out of, and the moment there was a moment of escape, you're like, whoa. You got to be that whoa when it comes to sin. Get yourself out. Get yourself out. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. It comes through transformation of the gospel working inside of us, right? And that power begins to develop. And for let me say this. To believe the gospel truly is to believe that no sin has to have a power over you. Christ, they, they died with him on the cross. The power of the Spirit now in you. Okay? You've got to have the proper power. Don't try to do it on your own, friend. Third, you need the proper plan. You need the proper plan. Oftentimes, discipline is a matter of getting started. Last week, some of you are like, I ate a lot of steak. Okay, it was a metaphor that I used in last week's sermon. A couple weeks ago, you were like, uh, I ate a lot of chips and salsa. Okay, I'm gonna stop using food metaphors. All right, it's not helping us with our discipline. So, this week, I know some of you are like, I'm gonna go buy a calendar and a notebook, and I'm gonna schedule every seven minutes out for the rest of my life. Okay, not a bad idea if some of you do that, but with a lot of discipline, I would say this start somewhere. Get started. The right plan for a discipline plan is typically just getting started. Let me give you a line here. Most discipline is a forced pattern that eventually becomes a natural response. Most discipline is a forced pattern that eventually becomes a natural response. So get started. Take back seven minutes. Start with that. Just take those seven minutes back. And then after you've taken those seven minutes back, see what it would be like to take another seven minutes back. I know some people, they've told me the, their stories like this, that the, the very first time they ever wrote a tithe check, they did it with so much anger in their heart. <laughs> it was like, ah, ah. And now those are the same people who would stand before you and say, it's amazing how God has been faithful. It's amazing how God has been faithful. And he always is. He always is. So get started. Most discipline, right, is a forced pattern that eventually becomes a natural response. The right plan is just get started. Oh, but number four, and number two does this as well, but number four, number four is really what differentiates our discipline from just natural discipline of the world. And that says, you got to know the right person. You got to know the right person. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I didn't tell her musicians to do this. I just love the way God works. Izzy basically quoted this while she was singing. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Oh, the discipline that that took. What's going on here? Christ resolved to go to the cross, and he didn't just resolve to do it and then not do it. That would not have moved anything. Christ resolved to go to the cross, and then he actually did it. And because he actually did it, because he exercised the internal fortitude and the discipline to do what he set out to do, he completed our faith. 
For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised its shame. Its shame was him wearing your and I, our sin on himself. That was the shame. He despised the shame. And now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And Christ is up there doing that because he was disciplined in the moment to endure the cross. And when Christ endured the cross, what did it do? It opened up the door of our salvation that could have been opened no other way. It cleared the way for the birth of the church. It destroyed the eternal damage of sin. It was the single greatest maximizing act of all time. And it was the greatest transformative act that has ever occurred. Because he went to the cross, he resolved to do it, and then he did it. And friends, if you want this type of discipline that I'm talking about, don't get on YouTube. And watch the latest motivational video. Open up your scriptures and get to know Jesus because this will follow. You gotta know Christ. You gotta know Christ. What happens? And why is this part of our series? You can see it already. When you begin to apply personal discipline, it's like the tracks are getting laid. And every time discipline comes into your life, it's like you're in there and you're nailing in a railroad tie. You're adding a little bit more to the track, to the track, to the track, to the track. And friends, when you and I are each doing this, we are adding track to track to track, and then the train can start moving, moving, moving. And we're calling this train revival. And the way we lay it is when you and I begin to practice this type of discipline in every part of our lives. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Well, Father, we start with what you finished, which is the work of our salvation. So to anyone who's in this room today, whether you're thinking about past sin, current patterns, unconfessed, whatever, lay it before Christ right now and receive the grace of his forgiveness. Be set free. Now, friend, there may also be practical work that you need to do. You may need to talk to someone. It may cost you something, but walk in freedom. Father, I pray that you would form in us an ability to both repent and resist sin. Father, I pray that you would help us today to begin to leverage our time in such a way that reflects our value of, of the knowledge that we are on a race. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, you would teach us new uh, ideas, Lord, give us insight uh, into how to do it best, Lord, and as we leverage our time better for your kingdom, Lord, uh, that you would see it as an act of worship for us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to submit and take control of the world's greatest love, money, that we would just think about it differently because we have been given everything we need in you. The beauty of the gospel and the freedom it produces. So change your minds even in that, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would form this discipline in each person and in our church. And I pray that the tracks of your revival would be laid, that we would connect them then to other tracks of other churches around this country, saying, speaking, and praying the same things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. 
We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.